Welcome to the Accessible Yoga Podcast, your weekly source for questions and answers around equity in yoga, hosted by Jeevana Heyman and Amber Carnes. Join us each week for powerful conversations with thought leaders at the intersection of justice, knowledge, and practice. Welcome to episode 24. I'm your host, Amber Carnes. In this episode, I sit down with Jeevna Heyman to answer questions submitted by you, our listeners and community. First, we will talk about the ways that we can offer accessible classes in the new virtual landscape while taking into consideration the impact of the pandemic on teaching yoga. Jeevana shares a list of his favorite texts for studying yoga philosophy. And finally, we give some tips on how to include philosophy and self-study in your classes. We hope you enjoy these new Q&A episodes. We'll be releasing one every single month, and we hope that you'll submit a question through our form on our podcast site over at accessibleyogatraining.com slash podcast. You can submit a question, a topic, or suggest a future podcast guest. We hope you'll check it out and that you enjoy this episode. Thanks. Hey, Jeevana. Hi. Hey, Amber. How are you? I'm all right. How are you doing? I'm good, actually. Feeling, yeah. Yeah, feeling good today. How about you? I'm good. Um, I realized when we were talking about this episode that this will be the first episode that airs in 2021. Yay. Yay. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year. We'll see. Remains to be seen. Uh, <laughs> Glad well, to be it can't out, be, out it can't of the be worse. Old year. Yeah, it can't be worse. I don't think. I guess. Don't say should, that. Okay, don't say that. All right. <laughs> I guess so. I guess it could be worse. I don't know. It's. Um. I'm glad that we are moving into a new year, even if I don't know. Time seems to have like. There's no like normal markers of time in my life anymore. So mm. I don't know. Maybe it. Uh, <laughs> maybe it doesn't exactly feel like a new year, but I'm glad 2020 is moving behind us. Yeah. Actually, I'm kind of obsessed with the idea of time. Like I really, I'm really interested in that idea and the way we experience time. Um, I don't know. It just feels like, um, yeah, being home all the time, the days go by really fast and really slow. Like I don't know, it's such a weird warped experience. I don't get it. Yeah. I think too, like before pandemic times, like I sort of marked time by like what the next the next time I was traveling or the next like Mm. event I had to present at or like whatever it was. And now I don't have those types of things on the calendar, you know, and I'm not going anywhere. And, you know, so it's, I don't know, it's a little strange, but it it reminds me of, um, you know, DeJour posted this thing I saw on Facebook that just cracked me up. She said, "Um, every day around midnight, I'm shocked to find out it's only 6 (laughs) p.m. No kidding. Oh, my gosh. It gets dark at like four o'clock here. I'm just like, I'm kind of over it. I don't know. Yeah, it's true. It's like, um, it's a little bit like that. What is that movie, you know, where it's like the same day over and over again? Groundhog Day. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. I'm like, wait, I'm doing this again. I'm going to sleep again. I just got up and I don't know. And then the days seem to go slow, too. Yeah. Anyway, well. Do you set New Year's resolutions, Steve and I? Or do you have like goals for 2021? in that way? Yes and no. I like to use that moment to reflect. I mean, I think that's just part of my practice is like increasing my self-awareness. So I think any any point like that, like a new year or a birthday is a good time to reflect on like, okay, wait, how, how am I? Mm-hmm. Um, what are my goals? Um, how do I feel right now? So I like that part about a new year's resolution. I don't use it like some 
big thing do you like to-do list no. yeah no not exactly i you know I, I feel like i used to do that more where i would kind of have a list of goals and now it's more around like my practice is more to reflect and sort of like think on what went well what didn't what did i learn you know what i want to change what's working what's not that kind of stuff and so exactly. i don't know my big resolution for 2021 is to get the coronavirus vaccine <laughs> yes <laughs> Well, that, me too. I'm. I can't wait. I'm. I'm. Line, I'm lining up because yeah. I. I just think, um, you know, that's kind of the way out of this situation and the way to keep the most people healthy. Um, yeah, I'm concerned about the anti-vax stuff that goes on in the yoga world. It's just so frustrating to me. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean. We've seen a lot of that with, uh, you know, the QAnon and conspiracy mm -hmm. theory stuff really like infiltrate the wellness world. And um, uh, if y'all haven't checked it out, um, there's a really cool podcast about this, um, Conspirituality, mm -hmm. which is co-created by Matthew Rimsky. I don't remember the other man's name that's doing it. Sorry. Yeah, there's three of them, actually. Um, yeah. And um, Colin Hall actually is posting a lot of really good stuff around the conspiracy theory debunking and you know, um, awareness around the science yeah. part of COVID. Yeah. I, I've, I've spoken to a lot of friends, you know, just like casually asking, you know, if folks plan to get the vaccine. I've kind of heard a lot of like, well, we're going to wait and see what happens. And I'm like, what does that mean? Like, well, we want to see like how other people do. I'm like, y'all know they fully tested that already. Right. I to know. see how the other people do. I but know. yeah, I know it's, um, uh. <laughs> With new information, especially like, I don't know, I don't exactly trust the government either after the way right. they've handled everything, but I definitely intend to get the vaccine as soon as it's available. I just feel like as part of my responsibility as somebody who is, you know, healthy and able-bodied and all of that stuff, I'm low risk basically to protect the most vulnerable. And so I, um, I plan to get it as soon as I can. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to mention that, um, I was on the Conspirituality podcast actually as a guest, so I, oh, yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed That's I really right. enjoyed that conversation. Uh, we're talking about AIDS activism. It was like an early episode, and they're they're doing great work. Um, yeah, and um, I agree. Just like it's, I mean, I we don't have to always trust those things, but I think in the end, um, it's not like there's yeah. I just don't believe in conspiracy. in conspiracy like i i feel like um pfizer <laughs> i saw this other thing yesterday that cracked me up i don't know if i should say this but there's this thing with pfizer you know they make viagra right i didn't but <laughs> thank you for illuminating me and that. this thing is like you tr you trust us with your penis so <laughs> trust us with your you trust us for a vaccine <laughs> i mean that's a pretty good tagline like <laughs> I don't think that was an official tagline. Sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay, wait. Siri Siri turned on for that one. Oh, he's <laughs> trying to get your... Um, it's like Siri's like, were you interested in Viagra? We have an ad, a coupon for you. <laughs> oh, my God. I knew you'd like that one. Now they're going to um, come up in your feed because um, we said Viagra like four times in front of your phone. So. Oh, God. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's great that the vaccines are that the research shows that they're effective. I, I mean, obviously, they're it's not 100%. So there will be problems and people who are allergic to vaccines in general will probably be allergic to this one. So I mean, that's not news. You know, it's like, right. 
there's been al allergic reactions to vaccines for a long time. Um, but you know, this anyway, there's, there's hope. I think I feel like it's, it's at least a way out, you know, we talked about AIDS and that's what I was speaking about on that um, conspirituality podcast was my AIDS activist work. And, you know, with AIDS, there's still not a vaccine. There's no cure. It's literally yeah. like 30 years later, we're still, there's still nothing like this. So the fact that they've been able to create a vaccine for this virus so quickly, basically mm -hmm. like in a year or whatever is it's amazing. Um, so I just, I'm, I'm grateful for that. And I've also, I've seen the, what happens to people, especially with HIV and AIDS, um, who don't have access to treatment, and it's devastating. And and you know, medicine is incredibly effective. And I think in yoga, we need to learn how to integrate our practice with Western medicine. It's not one or the other. That's right. You know, it's like you can use all the things you have access to. You know, you use Western medicine, use natural medicine. Yeah. Use whatever you want. Like it's none of it's necessarily bad. Um. And actually, it's interesting too the way that yogis tend to go towards like natural products and herbs, which are also like another kind of medicine that can have side effects too. So I think you need to be sensitive and thoughtful about anything you're using, um, you know, including a vaccine. Yeah. Yep. But I'm gonna get mine as soon as I can. Okay. Um, I feel like uh, I don't know it, it when I think about like what will make it possible to like teach in person and gather together again and all that kind of stuff is definitely in there. So anyway. Right. And, and like you mentioned, protecting more vulnerable people, like even if you don't think yeah. you'll have a reaction, if you get COVID, then it's, but it's still better to not get it. So you don't pass it along. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So. so anyway, well, today is um, our first uh, Q&A episode, which we're going to start doing about once a month. And if you haven't yet, uh, found out that we have a question form that you can go fill out. We would love for you to submit a question. And so we'll link to that in the show notes. It's also just on our podcast page on our website. Um, but we already have a few questions that came in. And so we are going to answer those today on the podcast. You ready to, to jump mm -hmm. in? Yes. Okay, I'm just going to read out um, the question. Uh, this isn't the whole question as it was submitted, but basically this person is teaching in Zoom. Uh, they have a lot of different people with different abilities, different mobility limitations, different types of aches and pains and injuries. And so um, here's the question. In my live classes pre-pandemic, I could teach several students with different conditions at the same time offering the pose in different orientations or putting an individual student in a needed restorative pose while the rest of the class had a more physical class. Over Zoom, I find this near impossible and quite awkward. I'm feeling frustrated, depressed, hopeless, upset, disappointed, and inadequate as a teacher. Will you cover a podcast about teaching accessible yoga on Zoom and what is possible, not possible, what's not safe? I feel like I should change the description of the class. Hmm. Okay, so we wow. have some thoughts on this for sure. <laughs> Do you yeah. want to start? Well, I just actually, my first thought is that um, I want to, um, I don't know, just reflect back for that person, the, the emotional response they're having and their frustration, you know, feeling depressed, hopeless. It's like, I think a lot of that is totally understandable considering the situation we're in. And, yeah. and that, you know, as yoga teachers, you know, especially um, if you're an experienced teacher, you've been teaching in person your whole life, and then all of a sudden you're teaching online, and it's it's such a limited it's a limited format. It, it changes what we do, and so I think that having 
having an emotional reaction is fine. I just, I, I doubt that the person is really failing. You know what I mean? Like, I just want to say, like, I don't know the situation, but I think the fact that you start out by saying you are, you're already offering many different orientations and options for the poses is incredible. Like that, I just want to, I don't know, just like, thank you for that, you know, just like for for making that effort and for, for really, trying. Yeah. yeah, for trying and for making yoga accessible in that way. Like that's, it seems like that's really the key. You know, you offer lots of options. So I guess I just want to validate them, you know, like. Yeah, trying. me too. Yeah. I want to say like, you know, Jeevana and I have both been teaching online too, and it is different than in person, you know, like there are pros and cons, like in a lot of ways it does make it more accessible, but also there's, there's limits to what Zoom can do and not being able to move through the space is, it's different. We do have to shift, I think, a little of our teaching. And also, I just want to acknowledge that, like, not only are we having to make these big changes and, like, learn new skills, but we're doing it in the midst of, like, an extremely traumatic year. (laughs) Um, We're all experiencing, you know, this pandemic and the political climate in the U.S., if that's part Mm -hmm. of, you know, I don't know where this person is from, but um, we're all experiencing it, but we're all experiencing it, I think, very differently based on our our identity and our lived experience and sort of like where our social location is. So I just want to say like everyone that's listening, that's having trouble teaching, like continue to be gentle with yourself. And, you know, I think your students are just so grateful that you're probably there like holding that space and providing a way for them to care for themselves. So I just want to like validate what you're feeling. Like a lot of us are feeling it too. Mm-hmm. And I I agree. I want to echo Jeevana that I don't think you're failing. I think you're probably providing a really important service for your students. And so, um, and I know it's difficult online to make things accessible in the same way. So like making the effort matters, even yeah. if you're not doing it perfectly. So, right. Like give yourself a break. Yeah, no. definitely. That's what I've been trying to do. You know, that's my lesson from 2020, actually, I would say, is just to give myself a break. Yeah. (laughs) Just like stop pushing, stop, you know, demanding so much of myself and like perfectionism. Just like, Mm -hmm. you know, I think I think what the pandemic showed me again was like, you know, kind of that um, we're all struggling you know, differently, like we're having different experiences of it. But, um, you know, we can all just like take a breath and think, okay, it's okay. <laughs> you know, yeah, doing yeah. the best we can. Anyway, so, but there are other things we could op- offer maybe, right? Like some specific um, ideas. Do you want to get Totally. Some- yeah. I wanted to say, um, you know, the thing you said about like, I feel like I need to change the description of the class. That might be something to take a look at, you know, um, I think that like we have some ideas about offering accessibility in the class, but I just want to say in general, I think it's good for teachers to get as specific as you can with your class descriptions to allow um, folks to self-select into the right class. You know, I've, I've always encouraged this when I talk about marketing is like if you're going to create a new class or like a flyer or something to advertise what you're doing, be very clear about it, like using kind of ambiguous descriptors like intermediate or beginner or level one, two, three, like those don't always mean the same things to mm. people. And so um, I think that, you know, if, if for instance, uh, folks, if you're not going to offer, let's say, options for folks who can't get up and down off the floor, say that in the description. Like to participate mm-hmm. in this class, you should be able to get up and down off the floor with your without assistance or mm-hmm. something like that, right? I don't think that's um, 
a replacement for accessibility. But I do think that if you are teaching classes that you're not going to be able to or not planning to accommodate everyone and every ability, that should be clear in the class description. Mm -hmm. Um, So that folks who need that accommodation can find a teacher that's more suited. And um, I would just say also that like, um, I often like to describe like, what types of movement are you gonna be doing? Like if it's mostly seated movement, like a chair class, say that. If you're going to be doing inversions or, you know, uh, if it's a hot and sweaty vinyasa type of class, like mention those things in the class description. Um, so maybe that's all I'll say about class descriptions. Well, I, we can, I can add one thing about class descriptions, yeah. which I, I actually think that's where trauma-informed teaching begins is by telling people upfront what they will experience in the class. Because sometimes in trauma-informed teaching and yoga, we're, we're trying to share power with the students rather than the power rests in the teacher all the time. And one way you share power is through information. So if you give a student the information, like this is what the content of this class is, then it's not like a big shock. They're not just like waiting to find out like what's next. You know, it's like they know, they know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and so I, 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 yeah, I like what you said. I mean, I would hope teachers can accommodate anyone who comes to them. But I also think that clear descriptions can really help the student choose that class that's right for them. And the one that drives me crazy is when someone just says mixed level. And it's like, what does that mean? I mean, are you actually able to accommodate everyone then? Is that really what you're able to do? Um, so. Yeah, thanks for that. Good. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, so let's see. Um, the other thing is, um, I think on Zoom, we don't have this ability to move around in the space right. and support people individually. So I think what sometimes happens is when, you know, in a class where you're trying to address many different levels, there's usually a lot of individual instruction given where you move around the space and you go up to someone and you say, oh, well, if you're, if you're not comfortable doing this, try doing this other way. So there's kind of like that individual part. But I'd say in Zoom, there's another way to do it, which would be to just start out with that. Start out by offering different options. So um, and maybe do more demonstrating than you might in person. And you can just show the different options. So say next we're going to do this pose. You know, we're going to do Cobra pose. Here are a few different ways you could do it. You could do it on the mat like this, like in a more traditional way. You could do it sitting in a chair like this and show a chair. And you can actually would have to move your body. You have to like get on the mat and then get in the chair. It's a lot of moving around, you know, as a teacher to do to demonstrate many different versions. But I feel like that could be that could answer it in a way, which is just like show lots of things, demonstrate. And and that's the other piece is like, you know, maybe you can't both demonstrate and watch them on Zoom at the same time. And that's, that's right. okay. Like yeah. it's okay. You can't be everything on zoom you know that's right yeah you're not in the space physically and so it is going to be different you know i think there's pros and cons to each side of like demonstrating a lot or demonstrating not much at all right because if you're sitting at your computer Mm -hmm. or your camera or whatever and then you're more able to watch your students and maybe offer individual instruction or adjustments um but if you're if you need to demonstrate Um, a lot because maybe you have someone that is a beginner or you're showing these maybe chair options for the first time, then you might want to be on your mat. And then that means you're not going to be able to be as responsive. And so I think it's sort of a trade-off. I would try both ways. I would give feedback from your students and see what's working for them and what's not. Um, And 
I think that, you know, when you, I, I think what I would say is rather than maybe having as much flexibility as you normally would have with an asana class, maybe you have a, a, a predetermined sequence that you're going to teach and each pose you've thought about what's your strategy for somebody that can't get up and down off the floor? How would you teach this in a chair? Um, how would you teach it at the wall? How would you teach it, you know, in a gentler, more accessible way? And then from the get-go, you can just say, like you said, next we're going to do cobra pose. There are two ways you could do this. One is seated in the chair. One is on the mat. If you want to practice in the chair, have a seat. If you'd like to go to the mat, lay on your belly. And then you can start to teach that. Um, I just think that takes a little bit of the guesswork out of it and you know, we're not able to be as responsive as maybe we can moving through the space. But I think providing a few options still allows us to, you know, create that environment of agency and like empower mm -hmm. the students that you were talking about a yeah. moment ago. And also, um, I mean, I'm going to say this issue of teaching mixed level classes is, is a big part of the accessible yoga training. So I guess I would encourage people who, are, who haven't studied with, with us to come to the training and, and to learn about the techniques we offer, which I can explain a little bit here, but I just would say that that's something we spend yeah. a lot of time on in the training. And, um, there's, a, there's a few different pieces to it. I mean, you know, one is to plan your, like you said, plan ahead, like really think about what, what poses are easy for me to teach in the chair and on the mat at the same time or whatever that you know, like say you know that you're going to have students who are in both positions during that class. You can you can choose poses that are easier to do in both places. Do you know what I mean? Like it's you can actually think it through. You really have to do it more planning, I guess. Yeah, that's definitely. What I, do. I just pick the poses that are easy for me to do in both locations, like mat yeah. and chair. Yeah, that's usually what I teach is a com combined mat and chair class. And then the other thing we talk about in the training is like, really finding those the common cues, like really looking for what what are the um, what are, what things are happening in the same way in both mat and chair versions of the pose, and really find that find the universal t there, and so that and also another important clue is to stop using um, physical landmarks in the room, in, instead use landmarks in the body. So like if I were to say. Uh, if, if I'm teaching someone like a cobra again, who's on the mat and someone else in the chair doing cobra, I'm not going to say like reach toward the wall or something. Do you know what I mean? Like I'll use my own body and say right. you know, lengthen the neck instead of reach out the head towards the wall because yeah. someone might be moving in a different direction than the other person. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, and definitely if you're interested in this um, skill of being able to teach like a true mixed level class or be able to cue, you know, more than one position at the same time, that is what the accessible yoga training is all about. So you can get like a 30 hour yeah. <laughs> course on that. And so um, and actually the wait list is open right now. Um, Registration is going to open in just a little over a week. So we'd love to. Um, for you to check that out and you can go to our website accessibleyogatraining.com to get all the the details on that and actually i'm giving a free webinar uh free info session for people they can join that if they don't want to take the training just to hear hear me talk more about this the the other the other teaching i share a lot in the training is this idea of prepare separately practice together mm -hmm. um, which is kind of the theme i use in teaching multiple levels of students so you prepare separately like in the chair 
you create the foundation in the chair first or on the mat first. You do one and then the other separately, and then you practice together. You find then the common the common cues, the common movements, and bring them together. And so that you're actually, the class is connected in that way. Um, it doesn't feel like you're teaching two different poses anymore, but actually one practice, but people are doing it differently. Right. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Should we move on to the next question? Sure. Okay. Jeevana, I heard in a podcast recently that hinted that you are working on a book for accessible yoga philosophy. No hurry. Please hurry. <laughs> but in the meantime, I'm looking for more digestible translation of the sutras and the Bhagavad Gita. Can you recommend any? I'm working with people with disabilities, often ABI and psychosocial. So the simpler I can offer is often the best. However, to be honest, I still struggle struggle to articulate what I understand from my practice and would like to deepen my teachings of accessible yoga away from just the asana practice for my clients. Although I do explore themes, I'm wanting to explore more philosophy in classes. Well, that's like my favorite question ever. <laughs> that just makes me so happy in so many ways. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, I am working on a book that's a lot about philosophy, but... Um, it's not like I'm, I am, I'm, I'm like just finishing it now and uh, it's probably going to come out in the fall. Um, it's actually, the, the title is going to be Yoga Revolution and it's, it's about taking our practice off the mat, um, you know, and serving with courage and compassion. I think that's the subtitle. I always get confused. It's a long subtitle. <laughs> I love it. Something like that. Take the yoga, taking yoga off the mat and serving with um, courage and compassion. And to me, it's about um, the book itself. I don't know if that's what their question really is, but I want to talk about the book a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's about, you know, I think it's what, he, what the question is actually, is like applying the teachings in our lives. So what I'm interested in is actually, um, I'm a practitioner, like I don't, I'm not an academic. So I'm not interested in like an academic study of yoga philosophy, but actually its application in my life and yep. in, in my students' lives, and especially in the context of our lives right now. And, and that's what I try to explore in the book is actually how do we apply these teachings and understand that they there are universal teachings here that can change our lives if we embrace them in that way. Sometimes philosophy is taught in such a cold or like distant way. And to me, the yoga teachings have, have changed my life. And I'm so like, I mean, I love them so much and feel so, I don't know, just blessed to have, to study them and to practice them. So I think I'm trying to make them accessible in a way, but through, um, through this idea of service and social justice, you know, that's really the lens of my work, you know, like how do I, um, have a positive impact on the world, at least not do more harm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that. I want to know, like, how can I find a practice that serves me that can take care of myself? Um, and also connects me with my community and with the world at large. And so I, I think that's what the teachings show us. Yeah. Um, so that's what I'm exploring. And, and I would say like, one of the things I've done is I'm, I'm using many sources. So, um, as I'm writing the book, I'm quoting, I think I must have, I think I have at least a dozen translations of the sutras right here on my desk <laughs> in piles <laughs> and, and a, at least a dozen translations of the Bhagavad Gita, because those are the two sources I'm still using. And, um, gosh, I have, it's almost like 
different having different people around me it's, i feel yeah. like it's like it's like a group of different um personalities like a, a study group <laughs> yeah it's like a, it's like each each translator brings their personality so strongly yeah. and so like i don't i can't tell anyone which translation is going to work for them because it's like who who do you get along with you know what i mean like i don't know yeah. who you get along with that's up to you yeah, Some maybe people, we can link in the show notes to yeah. a few of your favorites and then folks okay. can can check those out. I know like the voice of the translator and sort of their own orientation, um, I know can influence like the way it, it reads or lands on folks. And so, yeah, yeah it, it is really personal, I think. Yeah, I, yeah, so I guess I won't get into that more because I could go on and on about them. I have a lot of feelings about the different translations and a lot of um, thoughts I I would say, yeah, I can put some links in for ones that I'm enjoying. What uh, would you recommend as, uh, what's the one you recommend to your students to kind of get started? Do you have a, a good general well, you know, my, my teacher, you uh, my teacher is Swami Sachidananda, and he, he's actually known for translating the, the, the Yoga Sutras. And I think his translation is still, still holds up pretty well. It's, um, it's very accessible. He writes, um, in a really like straightforward way, lots of stories and analogies. And so that, and that's like, I think still like the most popular version of the sutras. It's yeah. Swami, Swami Satchitananda's. And he also has a beautiful translation of the Bhagavad Gita called the Living Gita. But I just want to mention another Gita that I've really enjoyed as I wrote in the book. And that's um, Juan Mascaro. I don't know if I'm mm. saying his name right, which is, um, it's an older translation. I'm trying to think. But it's just so beautiful. Yeah, it's for, he did it in 1962. It's like poetic, and I just I love that. I love when I love when a writer can write in a way that's moving because I know these. You know, we're not reading this, the, or I'm not reading the Sanskrit directly. So I like when the the translator can like give me a bit of the beauty of the text yeah. too. I think that's really compelling. I find that also going one more for the. Sutras. I love um, Christopher Isherwood's "How to Know God," which is mm -hmm. a translation of the sutras that is great. Also, because he's a, a amazing writer. He, I don't know if you, do you know Isherwood. Yeah, I know that translation that you're talking about. Oh, okay, that yeah, and, but one. Isherwood himself. I mean, first of all, I love that he's a gay man. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he he wrote um, the book that became Cabaret, the musical. Oh. And he wrote "A Single Man," which is a movie that came out maybe I don't know ten years ago and tons of other stuff, but he became a yogi later in life and, and really dedicated himself to the teachings and translating them with his teacher, Swami Prabhavananda. It's the Vedanta lineage, but it's great. It's really fun. Anyway, but I, I would like to, can I talk a little more about the question? The, the part about, okay, because there's a part about um, deepening kind of the, what, what this person's offering to their students and how to bring philosophy into a class. And I mean, I don't know, I'm kind of curious what you think about that, but I would just say like, it starts by studying. Like it starts by really applying and studying the teachings in your own life so that you can find ways to share that are authentic, you know? Yeah. I mean, it could be like very simple, like reading something in class, right? Like you could start a class by reading a sutra, which is like what I used to do a lot. And that's effective, but I think it's maybe even more effective to like, practice it and then like bring it up as an example like you know this week i'm i'm focusing on ahimsa and really looking at um 
you know, the way that my words affect other people. And it made me realize that sometimes I say something and it doesn't land the way I thought. And I don't, you know what I'm saying? Like somehow that to me is just so much more powerful to show how we've engaged with the practices. Yeah, definitely. I think I, I really like this idea of like, you know, just picking one concept from yoga philosophy or maybe one of the yamas or niyamas, you know, maybe a concept like non-attachment or something like that and sort of doing a deeper dive yourself. Um, and I always like, you know, questions as sort of a starting point. Um, like what is, you know, maybe something as simple as like, mm -hmm. what does ahimsa mean to me? Like, what does it mean to be, to operate from a, a worldview of non-harming or non-violence? And like, what does that look like with my thoughts? What does that look like with my words? What does it look like with actions? How does it show up in relationships? And like, then you start to really get into the, like you said, the practitioner side, like the practical, what does this look like in real life? And not just when we're, you know, reading a book or, or trying to, you know. Yeah. And you could do that as a group, like say, um, say you have a course, maybe like a 10 week course, you can do one yama or niyama a week and ask your students, you could bring up the topic and explain a bit about it and then ask everyone to practice it that week and say, how, do, how does that feel? And kind of journal about it or reflect on that for the next class, you know, depending the, on the format of your classes. I, I used to run um, longer classes just for that reason, because I wanted to have a check-in time. Yeah. Yeah. at the beginning of class, which is where I, we got to read the sutras or the Gita. The sutras really, um, there are a lot of like um, numbered ideas, like 10 yamas and niyamas. So yeah, they like lists. <laughs> the Gita is a little less of that. You got to explore it more. Like you said, you kind of come up with a concept like Dharma, like what is Dharma? What is Karma Yoga? What is, um, what is wisdom? What does that mean to you? Jnana Yoga. Um, what is devotion? bhakti yoga like those are maybe themes that you could find in the gita um but i i just hope that well i mean i i love that someone that this question is being asked i love that we're asking in general and we're talking about this because to me um and what i'm trying to get at in the book is that this is what yoga is about that the asana is yeah. just a small piece and a very important piece but if you want to go deeper you got to look at these other ideas you have to look at how can i um bring yoga into my life. And actually, there's so much benefit there. Like these are such beautiful ideas um, and, they're, and they're quite expansive. I mean, most of the ideas that we're talking about and you find in these teachings are universal spiritual concepts that really exist in faith traditions from all over the world, from all different religions. Um, they're also found in a lot of indigenous spiritual traditions, which is what yoga is actually. Um, and I feel like these are just universal teachings that can transform us and 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 they're right there i get i just get so frustrated do you hear that in my voice like i don't know how i do <laughs> what's the word it's like ah it's like right there and and it's like we're we're like not able to reach them do you know what i mean i don't know what yeah. it is it's like a barrier and i don't know what that why why is there a barrier there's so many people doing asana or doing yoga so many yoga practitioners like millions probably right we got millions mm -hmm. And like, I don't know how many of those people are integrating these teachings into their lives in this fuller, fuller way. And, and I feel pretty passionate about that, that that's where the benefit really comes. Well, asana, like I said, brings a lot, but, um, 
Yeah, but I think, you know, we've definitely touched on the sort of overemphasis of asana or like it's been sort of weighted uh, like more with more authority or something because of the way that like yoga culture is, at least in the West. And I just want to say that, you know, we get a ton of questions about how, you know, difficult it is teaching asana over Zoom and all that kind of stuff. And like, maybe teach less asana. Like, I think what could serve mm-hmm. your students more right now, mm-hmm. an hour long asana class or, or maybe taking like half that time or f- at least 15 minutes of that time to actually let them talk about what's going on in their life through the lens of this concept that you're exploring. Like how can they start to apply something like ahimsa to themselves? Like, are you, you know, are you beating yourself up because you aren't functioning as well as you normally would, you know, in the midst of a pandemic? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think that like we could really serve our students well by providing a space for folks to like do a little bit of that self-study and reflect. Like, I think there's so much emphasis probably in our lives on doing and accomplishing and, you know, work and the to-do list we have at home that like the reflection piece often is missing. And so providing some space to do that in community, I think is, is really powerful. Yeah. That's a great idea. I love that. And I think part of it also is that teachers feel insecure. Like there's a lot of, um, pressure around yoga philosophy to like know how to pronounce the words right and to understand their meaning. And it's, it's very complex. I get that. So, I mean, that's really what I'm trying to do in the book is make it more accessible and kind of make it simple, but not but still respect the teachings and the tradition. Um, but I, I do think that just checking in, like, how are people doing? And then maybe, yeah, maybe just starting to bring in a few ideas um, around yoga philosophy would be such a great gift to your students, for sure. I mean, it can just make the practice go deeper, you know, and integrate it into their lives. Yeah. Just saying, yeah. All right. Do we do we have time for one more or should sure. we wrap it up? Go ahead. Okay. Um, so the last question, I'm interested in teaching accessible chair yoga within my community here in Richmond, California, particularly to underserved low-income individuals and communities. Do you have any recommendations on how to get in touch with these communities and set up classes in the times of COVID? I would like to expand my offerings, but the pandemic has made it even more challenging to get the word out to folks who could benefit from accessible yoga the most. Community centers and libraries are currently closed, so I can't hang up flyers to get the word out. And I feel that many may not have access to reliable Wi-Fi, let alone computers. How do we get around this barrier? I think this is a great question. And, um, you know, I just want to acknowledge, first of all, that like this digital divide, (laughs) I guess uh, we'll call it, is real. Right. That oftentimes the folks who could benefit the most from these practices or um, who are in underserved communities, you know, won't have the same access to, you know, a smartphone where they can like learn about your event on Facebook or whatever. And so that's real. Um, I also want to say that like uh, starting something new, um, especially trying to figure out how to promote it during a time when all the normal sort of venues for that are uh, are not operating the same way is challenging. So like, just give yourself a little bit of leeway around that. If it doesn't, if your class doesn't take off the first time you, you know, do it and you don't have, you don't pack your classes, don't get discouraged because I think it can take a little bit of ingenuity and we're all kind of figuring this out, right? It's not like we have mm-hmm. a handbook uh, mm-hmm. from, you know, the yoga overlords telling us how to, <laughs> how to pivot in the pandemic. 
So, um, but I think, you know, we have some ideas and um, I think one thing that I would say is if you can find out like um, who's already doing this type of work in your area, especially if you want to start a locally based class um, and how you could plug in to maybe support them. Um, I think that oftentimes that type of networking where maybe we have, you know, a particular thing we want to start or a way we want to be of service, that yeah. oftentimes there's already someone doing that work. And maybe the yeah. way to be of service is to support them. Um, that may or may not be the case here, but I just want to name that because I think sometimes we tend yeah. to like jump right into doing well, what it's collaboration. You know, yeah. Collaboration, like collaboration is, is powerful. And it's, it's, I think it's kind of like capitalism teaches us that it's like every man for themselves, you know, that yeah. kind of garbage and capitalism is, yeah, it tricks us into believing things. And sometimes, you know, collaboration is like, it's, it's challenging to find someone that you trust and you want to work with, but it can be incredibly powerful. So that could be, that's a great idea. I think. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, one other thing we were chatting about this was um, that working through organizations um, that already support the communities that you're hoping to serve um, may be a better way to get the word out and, you know, have access to, I guess, like that the audience of people that might be served by these classes. Um, So organizations like nonprofits um, support groups, like if you're you know, working with a population that has a specific like medical condition or something like that. Um, senior centers, community centers, you know, libraries, places like this might already have um, ways that you can plug in and get the word out, like community message boards or things like that. I know you mentioned that physical locations are closed and you can't hang mm-hmm. flyers, mm-hmm. and that's a thing, but it might be worth it to speak to some people who are in the demographic that you're hoping to serve. You know, if you have friends or potential students or folks that are part of those communities, um, talk to them, find out like ways that you could get the word out that would work for them. Like, where, you know, is are there communities gathering online anywhere or are they you know meeting in a park rather than inside you know like you can maybe get some, gather some information about um what would be the best way to get get the word out yeah. there and a lot of those groups have moved online i mean um like a lot of live well the library here in my town you know offers a lot of stuff online right now um they might be interested in offering an online yoga class through the library even yeah. even though it's not like in person um, also, did you mention support groups? I think that's um, that's a really good way to reach um, special populations. Like if you want to reach people who have multiple sclerosis, for example, or something like that, you can. There's there's local support groups you could find, and they're meeting online probably, um, and they might want to do. They want to maybe offer something like a yoga class for their um, online support group, which could be a nice change of pace from what they normally do. Or maybe it's just like a 15 minute little right. session before their next support group meeting, um, something like that. And then you could even offer that for free and then invite them to come to your regular class or something like that. Like doing, doing little intros like that, um, is a great way to build classes. That's what I used to do a lot. It's just like go offer free intro sessions all over the place. Yeah. Um, and then have set places that people could come and find me. And I think that still exists online. Like you could still work that, that angle where you kind of offer yourself online, but then have some whatever regular class that, you know, that you're offering that they can pay or something like that. 
Yeah, I like that too. Um, and, you know, maybe the final thing we'll say on this is like consider um, different formats that might work for you. It sounds like you're referring to in-person classes, um, but, you know, there are obviously online opportunities through Zoom, so you can have live classes, but maybe recorded content is going to mm -hmm. be mm -hmm. something that, let's say you have a way to reach folks through an email list or something like that, that maybe you can offer um, just think about being creative with the format um, and that it might end up looking a little bit different than what you've originally envisioned and that that can evolve as it becomes safer to gather in person or testing is improved or whatever, you know, enables us to to move back toward um, in-person classes and that yeah. kind of thing. And, and even I would say... Um I love the idea of changing the format because I think at some senior centers, they're not having people come in, but they might be able to play a recording of a class on the TV or something. You know what right. I mean? So there might be a way to get inside some of those places that don't allow access. Um, also, you could look at other formats like writing, like writing about yoga and the benefits um, in and, and writing for publications that don't usually talk about yoga, you know, like writing writing an article about yoga for your library's newsletter yeah. or something could be a nice way to reach that audience. Um, That's yeah, a great idea. Creativity is key here at this mm -hmm. time. Uh, but it's yeah. always been a big part of accessible yoga. I mean, trying to really be creative about how to reach people that don't think that yoga is for them or who wouldn't come to a yoga studio and I feel like right now, I mean, yoga studios are mostly closed anyway. So it kind of, it's kind of like opens up possibilities, I think, for us. For sure. Yeah. yeah. All right. Cool. Thank you. All right. Should we yeah. leave it there? Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to okay. say anything to wrap us up? Um, yeah. I just want to thank people for submitting questions and I hope we'll get more. I love, I love questions and it's fun to answer them with you. So yeah, thanks. definitely. Um, do you want to talk real quick about the info session that you're having on January 14th? Like what can folks expect there if they're interested in the training? Sure. I mean, um, I think at that info session, what I'd like to do is give a little bit over, of an overview of the course and what we'll be covering in the accessible yoga training. And, and actually I think the topic for that night is making asana accessible. So I'm going to give a little, um, maybe a PowerPoint presentation about that idea. Some of the ideas I started sharing earlier around, um, teaching mixed level classes and also how to adapt practice, which I think is really the key too. like, one of the things I like to focus on is, um, the why, like looking at the benefit and why we practice and then build our variations from there. So, um, kind of keeping the, keeping the good, part of the practice when we change it up. Um, so yeah, we also will um, give away a free spot in the training. Yeah. And if you come to the info session and then you decide to sign up, there's also going to be a coupon code that we give out at the end of the info oh, session for a right. discount off the course. Mm. So um, it's only good for 24 hours and you have to, you know, attend to get it. So if you're interested in the training, uh, definitely attend the info session. You'll be able to interact with Jivana and ask your questions live and learn all about the training from uh, um, along with other folks who are interested. So yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah. I love doing those. I love doing those intro sessions. And I love teaching the training. I'm just so excited. I actually I miss it. I used to teach it like, you know, when I was traveling and teaching, I would just do it like every other every week. Weekend. I was leading yeah. a training almost <laughs> constantly. And now it's like only a few a year I'm doing and it just kind of makes me sad, but I, 
I'm looking forward to this one coming up in a few weeks and I hope people can join me. It's such a great community, like people from all over the world join us and it just moves me to see that there's so many people interested in making yoga accessible and sharing like these beautiful practices really with anyone who's interested. And it just, I, there's nothing more exciting to me than that. Yeah. Awesome. All right. We'll leave it there. I hope to see some of y'all at the info session and thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, be sure to visit our website at accessibleyogatraining.com slash podcast, and you can find the Q&A form. We'd love to have your questions. We're going to do one of these about a, once a month. And so uh, we would love to have new questions um, to explore with y'all. So thanks for tuning Especially in. Especially on yoga philosophy. Yeah. Jeevana's <laughs> favorite thing. <laughs> All right, Jeevana, thanks a bunch. We'll see you next time. Okay, bye, Amber. Bye. Thanks for joining us for another week of the Accessible Yoga Podcast. I wanted to let you know that the new cohort of Jeevana's Accessible Yoga Training Online is now forming. We start January 22nd and the course runs through February 5th. It's a 30-hour continuing ed program that will teach you to design multi-level classes where students of different abilities, ages, shapes, sizes, and experience levels can all practice together with ease. If you've been thinking about the training, we have a live info session with Jeevana that's happening on January 14th. It's free to attend. He'll be giving some simple tips to make your yoga asana classes more accessible and answering questions about the upcoming accessible yoga training. So if you've been wondering what you should expect in the training, if online training is different from in-person, what topics will be covered, all of that will be covered in this info session on January 14th. Plus, Jeevana will lead a short asana and meditation practice. We'll have prize drawings, including a free spot in the training, and lots more. So you can join the waitlist now and sign up for this free info session at accessibleyogatraining.com. We also hope you'll leave us a review wherever you subscribe to your podcasts and please subscribe to this podcast. We love hearing your feedback. It really helps us make it better each week. And we hope you'll give us some input on future guests or ask a question over at our podcast page, accessibleyogatraining.com slash podcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks.